It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app if you download the app and you can take us with you anywhere you go. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show today, Mr. David Robertson. And he is here to talk about a new book, and also uh, winning a new Governor General's Book uh, Prize. And uh, congratulations to him on doing so uh, for his book on the trap line. And it is uh, a pleasure to have him here with us. And a little bit about David. He's the author of numerous books for young readers, including When We Were Alone. It's illustrated by Julie Flett. And we're going to come back to Julie because she plays an important role with uh, his books and also his uh, their relationship they have together in, in terms of winning awards. Now, that book won the 2017 Governor General's Award and was nominated for the TD Canadian Children's Literature Literature Award. Strangers, the first of a trilogy based on a young supernatural mystery, won the 2018 Michael Van Rooey Award for fiction. And other works that he has include The Barren Grounds, a middle-grade fantasy series called The Misawa Saga. So it's a pleasure to have David here. He is a Winnipeg-based author, and uh, Julie Flat is uh, the person who illustrated this book with him, and she is based in Vancouver. So, David, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. When I was looking at the book on the trap line, Julie had done the illustrations. I wanted to jump into the pictures, you know, I wanted to jump right in there and be be there with you and your dad uh, going through uh, this whole this whole experience with you. Mm-hmm. No, she's uh, a supremely talented illustrator. And yeah, I, just, I was both for both books. I was really lucky and grateful to have worked with her. Um, you know, the first time with, with, for when we were alone, um, she said she was said she was too busy to do it. <laughs> so I, um, I had my publisher just send her the manuscript to see if she would be interested. And when she read it, she said, yes. And it was pretty much the same thing for on the trap line, actually, because she's, she's very in, de- in demand. Um, but I think when she saw like, you know, what this book was about and how important it was, um, she made time for it. So <laughs> no, we, uh, no, she's, she's incredible. And her, her work is, you know, for me, it's unrivaled. I mean, there's so many great illustrators here in Canada, but to me, she's one of the best. And, and yet it's very simple in many ways, you know, and maybe that's what's so wonderful about it. Yeah. So she has this like really, uh, it's like almost like this um, collage, like kind of um, uh, like it's, it's just such a unique, um, simple, like calm um, style. Mm. Um, and, mm. you know, it works so well with the tone and theme of both the books I'd written because I think both books are, are also, you know, patient and calm. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why, you know, the, the poetry of the, of the illustrations, um, one of the reasons why we, we work so well together with both of these books is because we met the words and pictures matched up so well. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And it's it's a wonderful collaboration for the two of you. Congratulations to both of you, as this is the second time now that you've worked together and, and it's brought uh, great things for you. So uh, congratulations to both of you. Yeah, thank you. No, it's, I get a lot of questions now. I was like, when are you working together again? <laughs> and um, I was like, well, I feel I'm going to feel a lot of pressure if we do a third one. Um, but I also think like we don't want to, uh, you, you know, too much of a good thing. So we'll uh, I think we'll wait a few years before we uh before we think about doing a third one but you know it's it's amazing um to have one two and have worked with her twice um it does seem like we there's something special uh when we get together um i'd like to go to the end of the book if you don't mind because um it's at the end of the book that we see a note from you as the author about this book and about um how this is based on your relationship with your dad and going back to the trap line uh, with him. And it, and it's quite touching. And it really does, of course, bring the whole thing uh, to fruition. Um, can you tell me more about, you know, the idea of when this came to you, why it came to you? Was Did it come to you after you had done this with your dad? Yeah, it was very much like a reactive. Um, we uh, My dad asked me in 2017, if I would take him to his trap line 
and he, he used the phrase after uh, the request uh, one last time, which mm. really kind of struck me. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, he was getting older, sure. um, you know, he's getting a little weaker. I think he knew more than I did, maybe that um, he didn't have a ton of time left, even mm. though he wasn't like sick, sick. But yeah. um, so anyway, so in 2018, uh, we went out to his trap line, uh, one of the trap lines that he grew up on. And it was just this like really transformative day for a lot of reasons. Mm. Um, you know, one of the times where I really understood the power and beauty of the land and the energy that it gives us the water and the land, um, we went out onto the boat. And as soon as we hit the water and we were on, on the boat towards this trap line, my dad seemed like 10 years younger. <laughs> uh, it was this incredible thing. And I took a picture of him, uh, mm. of, of, of him on the boat. Uh, with my grandpa's old Kodak vigilant, you know, <laughs> 70 year old camera. And it turned out perfect, like just magically. Um, and I just was like, wow, this is, I feel that, you know, I feel yeah. the land, I feel the water in, in my, in my dad. Yeah. Um, and then we spent the day on the trap line uh, and, you know, just seeing him walk around and, and, you know, talk so uh, lovingly and so, um, you know, so nostalgically about, you know, living on the land and how much he got from it uh, and how I felt at home mm. um, was something that I just couldn't ignore uh, that kind of that feeling of home. And when I left uh, that day, um, we were, I went out uh, to a camping trip uh, with my family about a week after, and we camped all the way to Nova Scotia and all the way back. Oh. And as I was camping, I just felt compelled to write down the experience I had with my dad uh, and I wrote it down in, in a notebook. It was the only time, probably the only time I ever will. And it's the only time I ever did um, write a book in a notebook. Um, and yeah, I just felt like I needed to document the day, you know, I, I needed to document the day to, so I wouldn't forget it. So mm. I could honor it. So I could honor my dad, our relationship. And, um, and yeah, so I just wrote on the trap line and I wrote it, you know, um, you just like over a series of nights in the dark by a camp light, um, out in nature, which felt appropriate. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. What a great story. Um, as you were, just, as you were saying that and going out there, writing down this story, I just want to come back to the illustrations for a moment then. So in, in terms of the, of how Julie would work with you on this, would you give her those notes or would you send her pictures or is she just doing this from her imagination and, and from what, she is interpreting from what you've written uh, in the story. Yeah, uh, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely gave her some pictures um, of the community and of the uh, the land. Um, I, she also has family uh, in Norway House, relatives in Norway House. So mm -hmm. I think she kind of um, had an idea of okay. the landscape um, as well. Uh, so it's a little combination. I would say, though, there's this incredible... Um, thing that happened when she was working on the roughs for the book i hadn't sent her pictures of my dad yet um and so we uh she sent me some concept art of how she would envision the grandfather and the grandson looking and when she sent me the picture of the grandfather he was wearing the exact same clothing my dad was wearing <laughs> The day we went up wow. and it was like i could it was just this you know t wow. you know breathless kind of feeling of like wow you know and so um there was a little bit of magic a little bit of you know uh her own connection to the community and the land and also pictures that and i eventually did send her pictures of my dad too but i didn't i guess i didn't really need to um <laughs> so it was a little bit of a little bit of all 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 of the above right nice um and now you mentioned norway house and um for people that don't know exactly where that is so we and get a perspective because I want I want you to take us to the trap line and uh, as well. So where whereabouts is Norway House situated? Yeah, so Norway House. Um, so I live in Winnipeg on Treaty One territory. Um, Norway House is uh, about an eight-hour drive, uh, almost directly up north from Winnipeg. Um, you kind of go all the way up for like six hours. Uh, and then you kind of go to the right and then down It's almost like a shape in a candy cane, you mm -hmm. know? And, and so, um, you kind of go and, and that Norios is nestled right in the, in the, uh, little play green Lake. Um, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of its own little, um, own little piece of land almost. Um, and it's just a little bit down from another community called cross Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, uh, the trap line is a little bit up North 
north northeast um, from Norway House up along the Nelson River. Um, so you kind of go on the le- the right side of the highway going north, and then um, you go like towards really towards the middle of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's everywhere at the same time <laughs> right. uh, to me anyway. So yeah, yeah so it's just a, it's like eight hours north depending on who's on who's driving. <laughs> and this uh, this day that you took with your dad to go up to the trap line, it was a it was all one day, or did you stay overnight, or how did that? Yeah, so we went up just for the day because uh, um, I we were I think we were just really busy around mm-hmm. that time, both of us, yep. and um, so we went up um, in the very early morning. And we, no, actually, sorry, we went up the night before. Yeah, we went up the night before. Um, and then we, we slept over in the, uh, the hotel there. And then we went out into, onto the land uh, very early in the morning. And, um, and then we went up and spent the whole day out there. Then we flew back that night. So we were there for like a day and a bit. Right. And what what did your dad say about that? I mean, obviously, from what you said, he lit up and, and uh, he, he looked 10 years younger. So it was very invigorating and very, uh, very a wonderful experience for him. What was it like for him to have you there with him? I asked him that, actually. I asked him that very question, uh, because I kind of look at this book as as one of uh, like a trifecta of uh, dad stories. Mm. Uh, you know, there's On the Trap Line. There's Blackwater, my memoir, and then there's Kiweo, which is my podcast with CBC, and um, and I did a lot of recording with him. Um, and uh, you know, I think now now that he's gone and uh, I have those recordings, it means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. But um, on the recording, I asked him exactly that. I said, "What did it mean to go up there with me?" Because <laughs> I kind of wanted to know just myself. Um, <laughs> and he just, you know, he, he told me that it was a really emotional day. Um, that it was, you know, emotional to be there with me. It was emotional to go back to his childhood home. Um, and he just talked about how he remembered things, you know, that he thought he had forgotten just mm. by, you know, setting foot onto the land. Mm-hmm. He remembered the water. He remembered the land. He remembered the, you know, he remembered family, community. Uh, and one of the most vibrant memories that came to him was he uh, he remembered going back home after the uh, season was over and um, just this like parade of canoes along the Nelson river, going Mm -hmm. back to the community and family waiting Mm -hmm. for him on the shore uh, and having a feast right there on the shore (laughs) um, as they returned home from the trap line. And that was such a beautiful memory. Um, So it it meant a lot to him. uh, And it was, you know, it meant a lot to me. And I think it was just nice to know that it meant as much to him as it did to me. Um, But yeah, it was just a very emotional day for him. And I'm so glad that he got to go out because, you know, it turned out it was the last time he could have gone. Mm. It, it sounds wonderful. That that image of these uh, the, these canoes all, you know, coming back and uh, this feast on the shore. It sounds like a wonderful day and a wonderful time and uh, some great memories for you to have been able to share with your dad as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't, uh, uh, you can't ever get those times again you know so um yeah i'll I'll always be grateful for that day um it'll always mean a lot to me in my life and you know i'll always be able to revisit that day because i I have it documented in so many ways i have pictures and i have the book and i have um you know and and, you know whenever i think about that day whenever i read this book over to kids uh, it's like I'm visiting my dad again, mm-hmm. and uh, and that means a lot to me. Yeah, this this book you won it for the illustrated book category, and it feels like it's for young people. But really, I, I think I got I, I enjoyed this as much as any kid would reading it. Yeah, I think there is like a timelessness about it, mm-hmm. um, and I do think it stretches across um, any sort of intended age range. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard that from people who've, you know, emailed me or, you know, who I've spoken to directly, um, you know, that it's not just for kids. Um, you know, I, a lot of people who've read it have, you know, felt that calm and felt that peace and, you know, have felt like they've gotten to know my dad a little bit. And you know, that's really what I wanted from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that it kind of it gives you a sense of community too, you know, um, because it is about community. Uh, it is about the land. It is about family. Um, and so I love the idea of a parent sitting with their kid at night, reading it together. And um, that's just such a, a, a powerful uh, image for me that gives me a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. And it means, you know, the world to me. Right. One more thing on your dad. Did he get to see this? 
Oh, I just had to kind of gather myself for a second. Um, yes, he got to see it. It was actually the last um, thing he ever read of mine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was he read it um, just as Julie was had finished all of the rough art and some of the finished art. Um, he got to read it. I read it to him uh, and my mom in my office here and he got to see the pictures and yeah, he, he was the last thing he read that I wrote, which is, you know, makes it all the more special, uh, for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I completely understand. Thank you for sharing that. That's a uh, beautiful, you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is David Robertson. He, uh, he is a Winnipeg-based author. We're talking to him about a book uh, that he won along with uh, uh, Julie Flett, who is the illustrator of On the Trap Line. It is the Governor General's Book Prize for this year, 2021, in the Young People's Literature Illustrated Books category. Uh, it's very beautifully done with the illustrations of uh, Julie Flett, which uh, David has worked with previously uh, as well. Um, when We Were uh, Alone, which was also uh, another uh, winner in 2018, I believe. So, David, when you were going through this, we get to we get to see the story. We get to experience that. You also throw in some language, which is beautiful, and then you put in this uh, guide at the end so that people can not only understand what the words are, but also phonetically spell them out so they get a sense of of how to better understand that language as well. What, why was that important? Yeah, uh, well, part of it is uh, wanting just to to honor the language mm. and the language and its connection to culture. Mm. Um, you know, there's something that is very important for me, but it was you know very important for my dad. Um, he was a, he was a strong advocate for um, the language mm. and for language revitalization. Um, and but I think the other level to it is that I very carefully chose the words to add uh, almost as a story te- storytelling device mm. where it added depth and breadth to the story. Yes. So the words weren't just put in arbitrarily; um, they were put in to add something to each page thematically. Um, and you know, there's a lot of complexity to the book. And um, you know, I think that if you dig a little bit below the surface, you can find um, a lot more than what is presented you know mm-hmm. right up front yeah um and the, the words are probably the biggest part of that yeah um and i you know i and so it was it was kind of both it was paying tribute to my dad and, and his first language and also finding ways to uh, incorporate it into um, the storytelling technique yeah and you're right it does add something because you're not you didn't just use words that were already said you picked words that were different from what was there as well yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's a page where it has this beautiful, um, obviously, well, they're all beautiful from Julie, but this really beautiful um, picture of two houses um, side by side, but with this, you know, amount of space between it mm. and talking about the beauty of the North and, and of a community and how families live close to each other. But, you know, there's so much space there, too. Mm. And then the word Kiwetanak uh, in Cree is the North. And, uh, and so, you know, it adds a bit just to kind of uh, this kind of really beautiful word. Um, and then at the end of it, I think the last word is Ekozani, which mm-hmm. is thank you. Right. Um, and it kind of incorporates that into how we honor the elders by feeding them first at a, at a feast. Yes. Yes. Um, and the best word to me uh, is, is a Kiweo. And, you know, when the grandfather and the grandson are, you know, pulling up to the shore of the trap line, uh, it kind of talks about, the, the trap line and, and what he what he saw uh, throughout the day as they looked for it. And then the word is, you know, Kiweo, he goes home and mm-hmm. then he, they're home. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just a lot of beauty in, in, in the language and how I, th- you know, I'm, I'm kind of proud of how those words were used in the, in the manuscript. It's almost like there's a second conversation that you've jumped into with those words, you know? Yeah, I think that's yeah. totally, yeah, I think that's a great, um, assessment of it for sure. Yeah. And again, the illustrations are beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, like I, this book would not be what it is without Julie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, she was the only person I wanted to work with it, work with on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I told Tundra that, you know, I told Tundra, this is, this is a book I have to do with Julie. And I didn't know what I was going to do if Julie couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I just felt like there's so many reasons, you know, right, not just right. our relationship, sure. not just that she's so talented, 
Um, but you know, um, we have both, we both have family in Norway house. Um, you know, her dad is just as important to her as mine is to me. Um, you know, and so, uh, her, her work in this book is the best that I've ever seen her do. And that's a lot because she's very, very good. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've heard a lot of how the images, uh, people just feel totally immersed by her work, um, how they feel, they feel the story, um, yeah. from the words, but almost more so from the pictures mm. um and you know it's just a, she's just did absolutely exquisite work here um and you know i could i could read this book and look at this book all day yeah and um i think that a lot of people you know i think a lot of people feel that way mm-hmm. and um and it, yeah i mean it, if i i can't imagine this book uh having been done without her there is one word that i see at the end and I don't see it in the swampy Cree words in the story that are used. And do you know which one I'm talking about? It's about your dad. I'm not sure what the word is. It, it says, Dad, you are home. Uh, beside, mm-hmm. uh, And I'm sorry, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I will mess it up. So uh, do you know which? I guess there's actually two of them there. Um, so the, I think the word you're talking about is probably Kasakian. Correct. Yeah, that means, uh, that means I love you in ah, Cree. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for that. Now, the other thing that you mention in here uh, is about how this is about reconciliation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, part of the process of reconciliation, one of the things I talked with my dad about a lot is it's not just trauma. You know, we, it can't just be about our traumas. Mm. Like, you know, we're, we are not just the victims of, of intergenerational trauma. It's a lot. It's, you know, we're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Now, we we have dealt with it we are dealing with it but there's so much more to who we are um you know it's it's community it's family it's language it's resiliency it's the land it's the water it's all of those things and we have to read those stories too um and so i i had that in mind um a lot when i read the when i wrote this manuscript and you know when i write a lot of my books lately i'm thinking about what you know what more are we you know and and even though there's some some of that history laced into these stories mm-hmm. um it's more about you know the the strength and beauty of of our people of our cultures um and that was very important to me you know, i think it was very important to my dad too um you know when we talked about reconciliation you know what our idea our idea of it was that it's just sitting across from somebody and you know seeing them as a human being and just talking to them and, and just getting to know them and, and listening to them. And I feel like this book is also in that way, a conversation. Um, and I want that interaction. You know, I, I talked about how this book you know, creates connections and that's, a, that's to me, that's what reconciliation looks like. That's what it is. And so I think that this book is an act of reconciliation. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really quite proud of, uh, of that, of the book as well for that reason. Mm. And you should be for all of those things. Congratulations on that. Now, I also see that you've got something else on the go. I know you're very busy with a whole lot of things, but um, is there anything you share about this, uh, this the, the, the Disney thing that you've got going on with ABC? Oh, yeah. Um, it's uh, for my, the Mistwa Saga, which is a middle grade fantasy series. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, the Baron Grounds has done far better than we anybody thought it would do we thought it would do well but um and it 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 got the attention of some production companies as a result and um and so we actually got to choose uh, choose one from a few that had contacted us Mm. and um and and it ended up leading to this deal with abc signature which is a i think it's an arm of a subsidiary of disney um and so no that's really exciting um because i think with the people involved um you know i have i have uh, a fair amount of hope that it'll eventually uh, go to screen, go to mm-hmm. camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never can be sure with these things, but um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, just the thought of uh, turning on Disney plus and seeing, uh, you know, the Baron grounds as an option yeah. to watch is, yeah. is a pretty, pretty yeah. cool feeling. I I bet. No kidding. Yeah. Congratulations uh, on that front as well. And all the best with it. Uh, as you imagine that going forward though, do you see that as something that would be animated? Uh, how, how would you see that being going forward? Yeah. The talks that kind of I've had so far and some of the, uh, the impressions I got was that it would be like a, 
a live action CGI kind of mix. Right. Um, you know, cause there's walking, talking animals in the story and there's mm-hmm. some really cinema, cinematic moments that, um, I think call for CGI. So I think it would be like real people and then probably like some kind of animated, um, animals. Right. Um, and so I think, I think, but I think it, it would be, probably a tv series some kind of series right, right. and and then uh, that's that sort of mix for the uh you know the, the shooting wow congratulations and congratulations uh on this uh, this latest award uh for the governor general's award for for your book on the trap line illustrated with julie flat it is does this hold any more special meaning for you is this the second time you've won an award for the governor general's book prize uh, you know, and, and it involved your dad. No, this is definitely a special one. Um, I, you know, I never would have wanted to admit it to myself. Uh, you know, but like, I, I really wanted it. I really wanted it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I understood that I was in a category with well, some four other amazing books. Sure. Um, so I knew that the chances were twenty percent. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but like, I, I, you know, I, this award. Um, it's almost like the icing on the cake of, you know, like the book and the experience. And, um, it, it just, it would have meant a lot anyway. Um, but the, the award, um, is special and it'll probably always be the most special award that I have won in my career because of, you know, everything around it. Um, but mostly because of, you know, the, uh, you know, my dad and our relationship and, you know, just how it is, I think like an embodiment of his calm mm. and his, his being <laughs> uh, and the land and the water that he loves so much. Yeah. And Chimiguach for joining us on the show and, and all the best in the future. Kozani, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's David Robertson, and uh, he is a Winnipeg-based author, and we've been talking to him about On the Trap Line that he won the Governor General's Book Prize for in 2021 for the Young People's Literature Illustrated Book category. Thanks for listening to Moment of Truth, this part of the show anyway. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Element FM. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's a great pleasure to welcome back to the show Norma Dunning. She was on the show a couple of years ago uh, to actually talk about uh, not really anything that we're here to talk to her about today, but we might get to that somehow. It might come up. But actually, on November 17th of this year, the Canada Council for the Arts announced the 2021 winners of the Governor General's Literary Awards. And Dr. Norma Dunning was awarded the English Language Fiction Prize for her short story collection of Dania, The Unseen Ones. So it's a pleasure to have her here on the show to talk about that. Norma, welcome to the show and congratulations. Oh, wow. Thank you, David. Thank you. And it's, um, you know, it's a real honor to be able to carry the Governor General's Award in the first year of Mary Simon being Governor General. Mm. (laughs) Well, for me, it's just marvelous. It's just been great. Yeah. Wow. That is a nice tie-in. I hadn't thought of that. Good for you for mentioning that. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, speaking of that, did you get a chance to talk with her, her at all around this situation? Or? No. And I believe they may try to do something in early spring, but mm-hmm. with COVID right now, yeah. it's just um, no, no big ceremony. So. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. As I mentioned, you were on a couple of years ago, but at that time we were talking about uh, the the uh, the sports team, the Edmonton, as they were called then, the Edmonton Eskimos. And you came on to talk about that. And you just mentioned that, that uh, you, you said you liked the logo of the new team, the Edmonton Elks. It really is wonderfully done. I think it's... Uh, and I think it's a good rebranding that the, the team is putting together and it's a good fresh start for, you know, for them as a team, I believe. Right, right. Well, getting on to your, uh, your book, uh, Dania, The Unseen Ones, and as I said, congratulations on that. This is a book of, uh, that contains six short uh, stories, powerful short stories, centered on modern-day Inuk characters and woven together uh, and 
Also, it draws on both some of your lived experiences and cultural memories. The unseen ones, which is uh, in this book, uh, it's the last story in there. You know, the one thing that, that really stood out to me and that I wrote down that I, that I kept coming back to as I read the stories were your choice of words and the language that you, you use. And I kept thinking, and I'm not sure if this is relevant, I'm not sure if it makes any sense at all, but I kept thinking of how the North influenced the choice of words, which makes, again, perfect sense as well. But I had the, the pleasure of being in the North briefly a couple of times. I was in Iqaluit, uh, and I was also in uh, Achviet. Just that, uh, that that cold and the harshness of, of the land. And we think of it that way. You know, I, I'm, you know, being from the South, I think of it that way, and that's how it feels to me. But I get that that's not how it feels to someone from the North. Does that make sense? Well, I guess it would make sense, uh, but you have to recognize, David, I was, I, I'm number five of six children. Mm. So my folks had left the North just shortly before I was born. Mm. So I was, um, I was born in Quebec, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't have that, um, that kind of, how do I say it? That kind of North North experience, mm. and it, so I was born and raised in the South. But and that's part of putting this book together because there are many Inuit who live in the South, meaning you yeah. know outside of their uh, land claim areas. Yep. And it and it doesn't mean that we are not members or beneficiaries of right. that land claim. Yes. It just means we're not living there. We're living in the southern reaches of mm. Canada. And many Inuit come into the south for medical reasons. Right. Some people move south, you know, in hopes of their children having a good education and, you know, better possibilities. And, uh, you know, right now we're sitting at about 20,000 out of 65,000 Inuit mm. who are living outside of their, out of Inuit Nunanajat. So outside of the, the homeland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, I noticed that you, for instance, you dedicate this book to, at the beginning of your book, this book is dedicated to all those Inuit who live beyond the tundra, who get up and live their lives in the southern areas of Canada. We are Inuit no matter where we stand. That's right. And and I think we have to begin to realize that, you know, Inuit live everywhere. And but the imagery or the, the long-standing thought is that Inuit are always in the north. They're always standing over a seal breathing hole. They're always with a fur-ringed parka on. But we, you know, we do have everyday lives, <laughs> right? Of and it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean. How do I want to say it? It doesn't mean that um, the rates are of disparity are less. Mm. It's uh, what my book. A part of what my book examines is the, I guess you would call it the everyday racism yeah. that. Inuit who are located in the South experience. Right, and you definitely uh, do bring that up in the book over several of these stories. Absolutely, yeah. you you talk about that. And I guess that's um, sort of partly what I was uh, sort of getting to in the imagery that you just mentioned, the imagery that you bring up in, in terms of the choices of words that are very Northern based. I guess that's what I was saying about that. Cause it, it you know, you, you, you use terms and phrases that uh, automatically, like, I think you said something about uh, spiked icicles, you know, um, and there's some other things around meat that you've used as well that I, I noticed in the stories. And, and so they felt very Northern. Mm-hmm. But this is being raised by an Inuit mother. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the story with these old bones, mm. and that's like a, a second story honoring Annie, Annie yeah. Muktuk, you know, her later years. Yeah. But there is a point in there where Johnny Cochran says, no sweat in the Arctic. You know, and my mother used to say that. <laughs> and so, it, and when she said it, it was like 
everything that was worrisome went away. Mm. And so when you're growing up in this home, and, and that's the kind of language that you're around every day, I think it's only natural that it would show up of within, within the writing. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And you, you take us through, I mean, you mentioned the racism, and that sure does raise its ugly head a number of times throughout these these stories. And and if your intention was to, to make people feel it, uh, I certainly felt that. And uh, the other thing this story is about is the, the relationships between these people as well. Yes, I think all of them, you know, look at relationships. Mm-hmm. And I always say to my students, our lives are just about relationships. And when we're laying on our deathbed, not one of us is going to be thinking, oh, I'm so glad I bought that Lexus. <laughs> like, you're not going to. And if you're thinking that, there's something wrong. But uh, our whole lives are about relationships. Mm-hmm. and. And to me, you know, our purpose is to build good relationships and uh, maintain them Mm. and do our very best, you know, on behalf of one another. And that's part of what comes into the stories. Yeah, but but it also feels like you don't hold back in in these relationships, you know. Uh, Let's take the first story, the Amak, uh, you know, when these sisters get together. I always say every family fights, Mm. every Mm. family fights. Mm. And if we don't, I think there's something very wrong with us. (laughs) (laughs) But it also looks at, you know, that the the love between two sisters and and how you really can't let it go. Mm. Regardless, like regardless of where life takes each of them and how how their lives, you know, come together and then fall apart and then come together again. Mm. And I think that's, um, people really enjoy that story. You know, they really do. I've had many Mm. comments about how people could relate to that story. And I think when we're writing about family and the importance of family and how families operate with one another, I think it's something that we can all understand. So it was very easy, you know, to, to grab on to those two girls Mm. and here they are now as women Mm. and have had this breakage in, in, time away from one another but it's funny that and i believe all those old things from childhood and you know when you were teenagers and under the same roof those things come back over and over and over again and i think at the end of it you know that they'll always love each other and and have some sort of a relationship but when it comes to family, I think family is very relatable for all of us. Right. Uh, speaking of relationship, I don't know if it's a love-hate relationship or between the North and the South and, and Inuk's coming South to live. You know, you, you talk about how, how the uh, women in the North get to the South by latching on to a, a white man, for instance. So is there that? Because you, you bring up and you specifically name Edmonton a few times in the stories, and it isn't pleasant, uh, you know, in, in terms of the way it's, it's described. Well, we have to think, too, of what the history of Edmonton has been with with Inuit Canadians overall and the number of Inuit who came into Edmonton and into the Charles Campbell Indian Hospital mm-hmm. during the course of what was considered to be a TB right. epidemic. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is they they would be brought in And many spent several years inside of that hospital. And when they would be released, they would be released with the clothing that they had on. And then another set of clothes, dependent on whether it was summer or winter. But there was no money to buy a ticket get to go home there wasn't like you walked out of the hospital and walked into 
an apartment or some kind of subsidized housing. You were literally just released from hospital. So I think for me, you know, that was the early beginnings of homelessness for Inuit in Edmonton. And the Inuit population here sits in around 1,200. And it's, uh, you know, I think often we just walk by homeless people and really don't acknowledge them or even say hello. Mm. And when I wrote the story that you're talking about, when I wrote Kunek, it was based on sitting on a city bus in a very, very cold winter afternoon. It is dark out and I've been waiting for the bus for a bit. And I get onto the bus and there's one seat that is not, well, there's a fellow sitting by the window and then I sit next to him, but it was the only seat on a very crowded bus. And as the bus pulls away, I think, oh man, now I know why nobody's sitting here. And this fella looks at me, and obviously he was a homeless gentleman, mm. but he was also one of my own. Mm. I recognized him as Inuit. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, how are you? And he said, pardon? And I said, how are you? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. Nobody ever asks. Wow. And that was just like, wow. Mm. And a couple of stops later, you know, he he was um, debarking, and then you know I move, and then he comes outside, a, you know, gets out of the, the seat. And before he leaves the bus, he turned back and he, he looked at me and he said, "Thank you, hmm. thank you for asking." <laughs> and I never seen him again. But David, I looked for him. Right. I would look for him hmm. on White Avenue for the next two years mm. i never ever found him again right. but it so when we have those moments and i'm sitting next to i'm here i am completing a phd and here's another inuit person who is on the street yeah and here we end up sitting on this bus beside each other and it's uh you know for me it's really looking at the disparity mm. of Inuit and whether they're in the north or the south. And it's uh, taking the time to to rec- recognize them. And with the book being titled The Ina, The Unseen Ones, mm. it isn't all about the unseen spirit. Right. It's also about the unseen people mm. that mm. we interact with every right. day, that right. we walk past the person who gives us our coffee at Tim Hortons, you know, the person who is a, a cashier at Safeway, yeah. and how we really don't um, we really don't acknowledge them. So that's one of the things that I hope people come away with when they read the book. Nice. Appreciate you saying that. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Norma Dunning, and she is a first-time Governor General's Award for her book entitled The Nia, The Unseen Ones. So congratulations to her, and it's such a pleasure to have her on the show to talk about this. I'm glad you mentioned all of those things, and thank you for sharing that story about being on the bus. It, it sort of—I'm uh, not sure if it, it's, it's the same story where we uh, where we do see a couple of characters on the bus uh, <laughs> traveling. Is that the same story? No. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay because they're—you know—the the, some of these things overlap with each other. I was trying to see if there was something that overlapped between them, uh, and of course, it is that, like you just said, it's about the the characters that not only the unseen ones, but the people that we that are they're here physically that we just don't see as we we go through our lives. And again, it, it, you mentioned these sisters and uh, these two women. Well, there's another story that features two women as well: a mother and a daughter um and uh, that's a very powerful story 
It is. It is, and it's based on uh, it's based on an actual cold case that mm. remains here in Edmonton. Mm. And um, this young Inuit woman's body was found on a golf course. Mm. Gosh, I'm trying to remember how many. It must be coming up in around 15 years ago, and she was unidentifiable. I started to read about her in the Edmonton Journal because the police had posted a picture of her hoodie. Mm. She had no purse, no wallet, no right. ID. Right. And so they are trying to locate her. And the follow-up story was of the groundskeeper who found her. And then uh, there was a third story whereby her toxicology came back clean. Mm. Initially, the police had said, well, you know, toxicology is going to explain what happened to her. Yes. But it came back clean. And so she remains a, a cold case here. But what would, for me, when I did a little further uh, research into this young life, to me, she died of a broken heart. Yeah. Mm. Or broken Heart. Yeah. And a part of you know what happens in that story is really examining the child welfare system yep. and yep. how often yeah. newborn babies are taken from their indigenous mothers. Yes. And it's an automatic. Yep. And often the mother has zero say in it. Yeah. And I have often thought of her and I would think, you know, if they'd let her have even two afternoons a week yeah. with her little boy, her yeah. brand new baby boy, yeah. I'm sure she would still be with us. Yeah. And I don't think people often, especially I think with indigenous death, it's a it's an automatic assumption that yeah. it's some it's drugs or al alcohol. Yeah. You know, it's never a natural death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's never that kind of, well, they lived a very long time and their time was up. It's, it's the automatic assumption is, well, they OD'd. Yeah. But it, and it's wrong. That's mm. very wrong to sure. think that way. Sure. I hope people understand that when they're reading that story. Well, you know, some of the other things that you mentioned in the book um, are some of the comments that uh, that non-Indigenous people make to uh, when they find out someone is, is, is from the North. You mentioned this a couple of times in, in different stories. The one question I want to know is, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you eat raw meat? And, and that seems so uncaring. It just. It it just feels so wrong. But it does happen. Mm. And there's that one scene where Annie is in the bar waiting for her son, and then the bar flies come after yeah. her. Yeah. And, you know, David, that happened to me, and I was so astounded. Wow. I was so absolutely shocked. Wow. And I just, I can't believe this. I can't <laughs> believe that this happened. Right. In 2019, mm. this can still happen. Yeah. And until, and so that experience, I was really shaken by it, but mm. um, that experience that always sat with me. And I, I had told myself, one day I'm going to write about this. Mm. I'm going to put this down. Mm. And hopefully people will think about it and think about those. They're, they're actually such uninformed questions mm. that people ask. Right. And, and I have been asked that, do you eat raw meat? Mm. And, um, and I think, wow, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't believe that anybody would ask that. Right. But people do that. So yeah. I hope people can read that and think about how how they interact, especially publicly yeah. with Indigenous Canadians and especially with Indigenous women. Mm, and yeah. it's, I hope people give it a, a little bit of thought right. because it's, I was just stunned by it. I, and, and honestly, when that happened, I thought, I'm writing this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm writing you guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Um, so now I'm looking at another um, another story that's uh, that I found very uh, entertaining in, in many ways, but also uh, enlightening. Uh, Eskimo Heaven. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it, what a wonderful story in so many ways, and yet again, it's uh, you know it's got some of those tragic moments as well. I loved writing it, David. Mm. I mm. thought Eskimo Heaven is my favorite in that <laughs> collection. I can't, right. and it was so much fun for me to write. And right. if I make, I always think if I make myself laugh, yeah, yeah, then it's good. then it's good, right? Right. <laughs> but it was wonderful to. To create these two characters. Yeah. Um, because with characters like a priest and a spirit, <laughs> yeah. they can get away with anything. <laughs> True <laughs> you enough. can take them anywhere. They can walk into a bar. Yeah. They can get in trouble at McDonald's. Yep. They can check out women on a city bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they like the possibilities are endless with mm. them. And that was just a, a beautiful story for me to be yeah. able to put down. And right. I thought about it for a long, long time. And I, I think about most of the stories for a very long time before mm. I ever write them. But, right. um, you know, it, it was looking at how, especially when we're talking in a spiritual context, mm. how there is such opposition you know, between what, how Indigenous people mm. practice and interpret mm -hmm. spirituality and what the Western view right. is. Yeah. And, and so I, I always think, you know, I wish people wouldn't fight about that kind of stuff. I really don't. Uh, yeah. But uh, to be able to create those, those two characters, and, and I have said, you know, if I have a crush on any of my characters, it's a Turo. <laughs> because he's so much fun <laughs> <laughs> you know um and and of course you you put the priest in this in this situation where he has to challenge himself about what he's seeing and what he's experiencing and and how does that reflect on his own belief of uh, and what god is and things so it, it's really yes like you said a lot of fun and very very interesting Yes, it was great to write. I just loved it. <laughs> mm. There is so much more we could talk about, but unfortunately our time is up. But I do want to mention this. I'm so happy that you gave Annie something at the end of that story about uh, how her art starts to become sold and she finds, you know, this, this uh, woman that she can relate to in this strange Southern environment and this, uh, you know, this other character from her past that comes forward and, and she starts to find some, some joy, you know, and, and some, some, something that she can hang on to and look forward to because we get such a sense of that loss that she experienced throughout the, that whole life and the horrible things that she had to experience. David, look how you talk about her. You talk about her the way I think about her. <laughs> how I worry about her. <laughs> well, what's she going to do next? Right. And, uh, she and I loved it. You know, and, and to me, we always have to. You know, we have to leave hope. Mm. We always, within our work, regardless of what it is that we do, we have to always leave hope. And it's something that I think. Everyone should be able to, you know, at the end of a story or the end of a read, it was like, well, it ended good. Um, and mm. to me, that's, that's an important aspect of my work. And that is Norma Dunning. She is the Governor General's Literary Awards winner for her book of short stories entitled Dania, the Unseen Ones for 2021. Make sure to pick up a copy and check it out. It's a wonderful read. And that is our show for today here on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.